Welcome back, Missio family, and Happy Easter! Today, you'll hear Pastor Josh talk about how we see the spiritual journey through the lens of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, with the two men that are on the road to Emmaus. If you have any questions about Missio, you'd like to join a missional community, or you have any prayer requests, please contact us at missio.life. Well, happy Easter. Good to have you with us. My name is Josh. I'm the pastor here with Missio, and uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet, maybe later on today we can do that. I'm just glad to have you here, and the sun is shining, and it's warming up, and maybe winter's coming to an end, maybe. Maybe Pray for that. So I want to talk about story today. See, we all love stories, don't we? Don't we just love a good story as human beings? It's, it's kind of how we understand the world. My guess is that you probably have already shared a few stories this morning with people that are close to you because we love story. It's, it's how we're wired. Uh, I think of some of my favorite movies, right? Uh, anybody, because we love the comeback story too, right? Like that's even better than a regular story. A comeback story, we have somebody who overcame some crazy obstacles, Think of Rocky. He's on the ropes. He's beaten down. He's the underdog. He's the little guy. But he comes back and he wins, right? Or how about Karate Kid? Daniel's son. He gets beat up by the bullies and then he's got to go to the tournament and he fights the blonde kid. What's his name? Anybody remember? Was it Johnny or something like that? He fights the blonde kid and he wins, right? He's got to redeem his honor. Or maybe Top Gun, right? Maverick. Can't follow the rules, gets kicked out, but then he gets back in and he goes on this mission and he flies and he saves the day. Oh, we love a comeback. And so maybe my list of movies might date me a little bit. I'm kind of like the 80s, like, you know, but pick any movie, like Marvel movies or sports theme movies, lots of comebacks. We love a good comeback story, don't we? And the reason that we love a comeback is because we get emotionally invested in it. We're connected with the character. Well, can they overcome the situation? Can they beat the villain? Can they redeem their situation? And they overcome some adversity, and we celebrate with them. We're like, yeah, that's my guy. They, they did it. And so a good story can move us and connects with us. And the reason that we love stories so much is because God designed the idea of story And we really learn a common thread about all good stories from the best-selling book of all time, the Bible. And so God actually has this idea of story woven through Scripture, and it actually helps us make sense of our own lives, and it makes sense of what's actually going on around us. And so this morning, I'm going to explain this. Um, This idea of story comes through four movements, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And we're going to understand how God's story and our stories intersect and and how Jesus, the guy we just sang about, he's alive, he's alive. By the way, good luck getting that out of your head later today. Those are earworms, those songs on purpose. But we're going to learn how Jesus made the greatest comeback ever, the greatest comeback in all history. So we like comeback stories. Jesus, he tops the list, right? Okay. So we, we talk about story and it helps us to understand life. So we often ask ourselves some of the big questions in life, like, who or what created me? 
Why do I exist? Does my life really matter? Does it have meaning? And if so, to who? What happens after I die? Why is the world the way that it is? Things just don't seem to be going so great. So we find our answers to all of life's big questions on that list in God's story. When we look to other places to fill, to answer those questions, we're confused, we're lost, we're, life just doesn't make sense. And so we come back to what's God doing? What's his grand narrative? And then I think we're going to find that maybe our lives, our stories, our smaller stories start to make a lot more sense when we see it in light of God's overarching redemptive plan for all of us. And so today is Easter, surprise. If you're here and you didn't know it was Easter, it is. So it's Easter, and we celebrate the resurrection on Easter, right? The single most important thing that ever happened in all of history is the resurrection. Because here's the thing. We celebrate Jesus, who was killed. Jesus, last week we talked about on Palm Sunday, he rode in on his little donkey, his little baby donkey, rides into town. People laying down the palm branches, right? Yay, Jesus, Hosanna. And he rode into his death. He rode into Jerusalem to die. And he was delivered over to the hands of evil people. And they they said, crucify him, crucify him. And so they whipped him, they beat him, they stripped him down, and they hung him on a cross to die. And he did. Jesus died. He died for the sins of the world. And they put him in a grave, and and they rolled a big stone in front of it, and they said, there's no way he's getting out. We're going to put Roman guards in front of it. We're going to guard this tomb so no one can mess with him. He's in there. He's dead. We're done with Jesus. But Jesus had told everybody, he said, hey, I'm going to go away. For three days, I'm going to be down, but I'm coming back. He said, I'm going to rise to life again. But people didn't really believe him. They're like, yeah, okay, Jesus, three days, and then we'll see you again, right? Because no one had ever done that before. No one had ever rose back from the dead. But Jesus did. And so three days later, the stone is rolled away. Jesus' body is gone. Where did he go? Well, some people from history would say, well, his disciples came and they took his body and they stole it so they could perpetuate this conspiracy that he's alive. Not true. Jesus rose back to to life from the dead. No one had ever done that, and he did it. He made the greatest comeback ever. And so today I want to focus on some of the events that happened right after his resurrection. See, there's, there were over 500 eyewitnesses to the account that Jesus is alive. Once Jesus rose back to life, he appeared to over 500 people. They saw him. They heard from him. They talked to him. They touched him. And so the story I want to share with us this morning happened on Easter, on the day of his resurrection, later in the day, with two men that are walking, leaving Jerusalem. See, Jerusalem had a big religious festival going on, and all these Israelites would come to Jerusalem, and that was at the time that Jesus was crucified. And now they're like, hey, we're on our way back home. We're walking on this road. They didn't have cars, obviously, or obviously not a camel or something. So they're just walking, and they're making this journey, and we're going to pick up the story right there. So if you have a Bible, and you want to get to Luke 24 or Bible app, or, or don't worry if you don't, we have it on the screen as well. And I want to read this story for us about Jesus and the two men on the road to Emmaus. 
That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem that does not know the things that have happened here, there in those days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes. And besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of our women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they heard that they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But, they did not, but him they did not see. And they said to, to them, and he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going on farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, and he blessed and broke it, and he gave it to them, and their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures? So these men that were walking on the road to Emmaus, they're probably more than likely disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, maybe a little further out right in the rings, weren't so close to Jesus, but they knew who he was. They had witnessed the, res the, the death of Jesus on the cross. And so they're walking and they're understanding the current events, what had just happened in Jerusalem through a certain lens. This is, this is what we're understanding to happen. You know, Jesus, this guy, we liked him a lot. Now he's dead. I guess we're going home. I guess we're done here. So they're, they're heading back and they're understanding life through their small story. And we do the exact same thing. We understand our circumstances, what's happening in our life through a very small lens. This is my story. This is what's going on. Jesus says, hey, I'm going to help you open your eyes and see the big story. It's so much bigger. It's so much better than you've imagined. So that's what Jesus does. He begins to walk with the men. And so we're going to overlay these four movements of story, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and we're going to see this play out in the men on the road to Emmaus with Jesus, all right? So the first one is this, creation, and I'm going to explain what each of these is and then apply it to the text. So creation is the first movement of a story, and it's basically origins, right? Where do I come from? Where was I born? What nationality am I? Who's my family? What's my job? What's my familial status? All those things. We think about identity. What makes me, me? That's creation. 
So we can ask, what does a person look to, trust in, depend on for their worth? And it answers, who or what a person credits for who they are. So as we think about our story, the men from going to Emmaus on the road, they're Israelites. They were in Jerusalem and they're heading home, but they're a part of the nation of Israel because they said, we're hoping that Israel gets restored. Well, why would they care about Israel if they weren't part of Israel? They were. And so their identity was found in their nationality. And we're going to talk about what they were hoping for in just a minute, but that's who they were. They were Israelites. How many of us have got wrapped up in our own nationality? I'm American, right? We're Christians, but we we say, well, I'm American, and and I'm putting my hope and trust in the government. How's that going for us? Not so good, right? We can hope in the wrong things. See, identity, we can get wrapped up in my job, and I have to be so good at my job, or I have to get this raise, or I have to be well, well thought of in the community. And we can take all these bits and pieces of who we are as people and put way too much value in them. It is part of who we are. But when we look to the wrong things for our identity, for our true sense of self-worth, those things can be taken away from us or they will ultimately disappoint us. And that's what happened with these guys on the road to Emmaus. They were disappointed. Things didn't turn out the way that they had hoped. We talk about fall, and this is where we're going to see this play out. Fall is the reason why people and the world is broken. See, we all know the world's broken. Things don't work out. We're all, we all face crisis, disappointment, pain, suffering. The world's broken, and we know that. But everybody has a reason why they think it's broken, right? We can look to, to things that we think. Uh, so we might want to blame somebody, right? That's the other thing. We want to blame somebody. Who's the fall guy? So if the world's busted, you know, we, we talk about this all the time. Well, price of gas is going up, inflation, you know, this and that. And we, we complain about the world is broken, but yet we want to blame somebody too. So who's to blame for this? There's got to be a fall guy. So with fall, we ask the questions, what is wrong? What is the real problem or issue? And fall answers why things and people are not the way they were supposed to be and who is to blame for it. So Jesus gets right to the point with these guys on the road. Look at verse 17. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stopped. They stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there these days? So basically they're walking. They say, Jesus, whoa, time out. They don't know it's Jesus, by the way, yet. Dude. Have you been living under a rock? Do you not know what just happened in Jerusalem? It's in the headlines. Everyone's talking about it. It's all over social media, right? Like, this just happened. He said, do you not know what happened? And he says, well, you're so downcast. You're so sad. Let's talk about it. So the men were downcast and discouraged. They were depressed. Things did not turn out the way that they thought. And we find it in verse 21. This was their hope. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. So these men, they're saying, well, we had really hoped that this guy Jesus, he's a great teacher, prophet, by the way, which again showed where they believed his identity was and that they didn't see him as the Messiah, they saw him as a prophet. And they said, well, we hoped this Jesus teacher guy would come and rescue us, that he would ride in on a donkey, overthrow the Roman government, set up his kingdom, because he talked about a kingdom a lot, And like establish an army and just like, 
kick everyone's butt and like make Israel great again. That's, that's what we were hoping for. But he's dead. And he's been dead for days. And so we're leaving town. We, we don't have any hope. We're downcast. These men were discouraged. They're basically telling Jesus that if Israel were to be restored to its former glory in a physical kingdom, that all of our wildest dreams would come true. You guys, maybe have you've seen the movie Napoleon Dynamite? Anybody remember Pedro's campaign slogan? Vote for Pedro and all your wildest dreams will come true. And that's essentially what these men were saying. If, if Israel's restored, all of our wildest dreams will come true. That's what they were hoping for. But it didn't turn out that way. So maybe you can relate to this. Have you been let down by things or, life, things or people in this life? Maybe you had some dreams that didn't get fulfilled. Maybe you wanted to get married. Maybe you wanted to have kids or, or get some job, and, and it just didn't turn out that way. And so in fall, we look for someone to blame, a reason why everything's broken. The reality is that the reason everything's broken in this life is because sin entered the picture. Way back to the very first humans, they disobeyed God. And sin has been a problem in our world ever since. Now we have pain. Now we have sickness. Now we have death. Now we have grief and tears because of the problem of sin. So the key question with fall is why are things not the way they are supposed to be? Why are things not the way they're supposed to be? And everyone has a solution that they believe in, a remedy or a savior that will save us from this circumstance. For some, they look to the government, they look to um, social reform, they look to education. Oh, if we can just fix the schools, then everything will be better in this life. Right? We put our hope and our trust in things that we think will make life better. Self-improvement plans, self-help. People put their hope and their trust in all kinds of things for redemption. So everyone believes in a redeemer of some sort. So redemption answers who or what you hope will rescue you and redeem what is broken. What can fix this? That's redemption. What can fix this problem? And see, this is where things get interesting in, in the story. Because without Jesus, without understanding who he is and what he did in the, the resurrection, there is no real redemption. There's no true redemption. And so we have creation. We know our identity, and it might be skewed. But we have fall. Everybody's got a crisis. Everybody's got a problem they're dealing with in life. And the world's broken and busted. But not everybody finds redemption. Because not everybody knows Jesus. And so in our, our men in the story on the road with Jesus, they're walking, and he's got to open their eyes. He's got to say, I'm it. I'm what you've been looking for. It's not Israel. It's not restoring the army and the king and, you know, and getting everything put back to the way it was in the days of old. This is a new kingdom. Jesus says, I'm the king of my kingdom. I talked about it a lot, but it's a spiritual kingdom. It's not an earthly kingdom like you thought. So verse 25, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus tells them, he says, I'm it, I'm the Messiah. You read about me in the prophets. And all this Old Testament stuff points to me. And Jesus says, I'm the king. I'm very much in charge of my kingdom. 
and it's here now, right? And so then Jesus kind of pretends like he's going to go a little farther, like, eh, I'm just going to keep walking down the road. And the guys are like, no, Jesus, you need to come and have a meal with us. It's getting late in the day. It's dark. You don't want to be out on the road. You know, it might be wolves, whatever. I'm just exaggerating there. We don't know if there were wolves, but, but he's walking, and, he, and they're like, no, come and have a meal with us. And what's interesting about that is sitting down at the table was, was a sign of acceptance. Like, we receive you into our home. We value you. We're going to sit across from you and share a meal. So, so the text says that Jesus took bread, he blessed it, then he broke it. Symbolic. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The last supper, Jesus broke the bread. He is showing them. He's demonstrating him. This was me. I'm broken. Now you need to partake with me to have eternal life. And that was the moment that their eyes were opened. Look at what it says in 31. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Then he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and he explained and opened the scriptures to us. Their hearts were on fire because they realized that Jesus was speaking truth to them. And their eyes were open. They said, oh, that's Jesus. He's alive. He's not dead anymore. And by the way, our hopes and our dreams and all that stuff that we wanted to have happen doesn't matter because we missed it. Our view and our story was very small, and Jesus is showing us the big picture that goes all throughout Scripture and all throughout the prophets. See, true redemption only comes through Jesus. He is the only one who can redeem our lives, our past mistakes, our present circumstances, and our future. There's no real redemption without Jesus. That's, that's the crux of this whole story. Without Jesus, there is no redemption. There's just creation and fall right? Life is hard. Restoration is the final one. See, everyone has a picture, a view of what life will look like. What's the ideal? What do I hope for? What do I long for in a perfect world? And everybody has that in their mind's eye. And so it might, again, be to get married, have children, get a job, be rich, take lots of vacations. Like, oh, that would be the life. We have this ideal in our mind. And so restoration answers what the world or your world will look like when all is as it should be and who or what will be the focus of that world. And so the two men on the road to Emmaus now know Jesus because their eyes have been opened. He's revealed himself to them. And so they realize that their hope for Israel was not the true hope that they wanted. They now have a, an invitation into the kingdom that's here now, a spiritual kingdom, and then the story gets better. So Jesus made the greatest comeback of, of all time ever, right? But there's a twist. There's a sequel. Jesus is coming back again. And so there's going to be another comeback. And Jesus is saying, hey, guys, you get to be in the kingdom now. You get to be a part of my family. But until then, why don't you tell other people about me? Why don't you uh, show them what I'm like? Let them experience life in the kingdom and with the gospel. And so these two men now understand Jesus and they go back and if you read ahead, I didn't go this far in the text, but they go to explain to the disciples, hey, it's all as you said it was. He's alive. He's risen and he appeared to us on this road. But true restoration comes at the final when Jesus returns. Until now, we live with a sense of restoration, but it's the already, 
Not yet. We live in that tension, right? So Jesus will return and bring about full restoration. And he will be at the center. And he will receive all the glory. And by the way, Jesus is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. There's a new creation coming. And it's going to be perfect, just like it was meant to be in the beginning. And guess what? There's not. There's no more pain. There's no more sickness. There's no more cancer. There's no more tears. There's no more divorce or relational struggles. Whatever pain and grief that we face in this life, there's no more. Jesus says, I'm putting all that away. Because I died on the cross, I paid for sin once for all, and it's going to be put away at the end. And there's just going to be a perfect world where Jesus is the center, and we all just get to live. And like, it's, it's hard to even wrap our brains around that, isn't it? Like a world with no tears, a, wor- a world with no hurt. That's restoration, and that's what Jesus brings. So I want to share my story with you this morning through these four lenses. We all have a story. We all have something, the way that we see life. And I just, I want to share mine with you this morning through these lenses. So I'm going to say the word, and then I'm going to explain it. So the first one, creation. My creation was I was born the middle of three boys. And I was born into a family that loved me, that I never felt uncared for. My mom and dad were both in the picture. My mom was a farm girl from Powers Lake, North Dakota, if anyone knows where Powers Lake is. Ranchers, yeah, woo. And my dad um, was an airman in the Air Force from upstate New York. They met in Minot at the base, got married, started having kids. I'm the middle of three boys. We moved around a lot as an Air Force family because... Um, that's what the Air Force does. They move you places and assign you, and you learn pretty quick with all the change in different schools and different faces and friends and people. You have to rely on your family. That's really all you got with all the change. We relied on each other. And so we were over in England for about four years, and it was weird because we didn't actually have a TV in our living room. I, I don't know why, maybe British TV wasn't good. I don't, I don't know. We just didn't have a TV. And so my memories, my childhood memories, was my parents, my dad playing guitar, banjo, my mom playing piano and mandolin, like just a musical family, and my brothers and I running around, jumping off the couch, you know, singing along, dancing. Once in a while, we'd pick up an instrument and kind of, you know, try to play. We knew a few chords. And so that was a lot of my childhood memory, these fond memories of growing up in a musical household. And my brothers and I found out that we were musically gifted, and so we started playing, and we were highly competitive. Anybody relate to this with your siblings? Right? And so it's, it's like that old song, anything you can do, I can do better. Like, so we're all trying to outdo each other and, and play music, and, and I was always like really appreciative. My parents would say, oh, you're so good at that. Those words of affirmation, that's what really where I found my sense of worth and my identity. That was my creation, was looking for my parents' approval. I needed it. I wanted it. But then something happened. This is the fall. This is the fall in my story. When I was nine years old, I woke up one morning. My dad was gone. He was not in the house. And my mom had taken him to the hospital. And he was in a coma. And they said he was going to wake up, but he never did. For weeks, he was in a coma. And we're praying for him. We're saying, Dad, come, you know, God, heal him. Bring him back. But he passed away. 
Sorry. So <clears throat> all of that affirmation that I had from my parents, especially my dad, was gone. I no longer had that sense of stability that I needed. And we're living in South Carolina at the time, kind of crazy, but, you know, we're, we're there because my dad was on assignment in South Carolina, and my grandpa drives all the way down from North Dakota in his car, in his four-door Mercury, and he pulls into the driveway, and he loads us up in the car, and he drives us back to, to North Dakota. We needed a place to go. We didn't know what to do. My mom was... 33 years old, now a widow, with three boys to raise. She didn't know what to do. She didn't have a career. She was a stay-at-home mom. And so we moved in with my grandpa, and he took care of us. And we began to get on our feet and went to school, and it was hard to change and all that. And so a couple years later, my mom remarried. She, she met a farmer, local guy in Powers Lake, married him. He adopted us. We changed our name. That was hard at school and made fun of and all that. Um, we, we were adopted, and it was hard because he went from having no kids to having three kids overnight. <laughs> Try that, right? Two teenagers and a tween, like, that's, that's tough stuff. And so he had to quickly adjust to having kids, and we had to quickly adjust to, like, this new dad who wasn't our old dad, but we wanted to love him, and it was just really hard. So I had a lot of anger in my life, a lot of anger and pain for the things that we went through. I said, God, you're loving? You're caring? Uh-uh. I don't believe that. I don't believe that you're actually loving because you did this to my family. And this is, hard, this is hard and it's horrible. And so I no longer had that affirmation from my dad. And my teenage years were filled with trying to numb the pain and fitting in at school. And so for me, it was parties and girls. That's, that's how I dealt with life. And I also locked myself away a lot and played guitar in my room and figured stuff out, and learned to play, and pretty soon I was like, well, I'm getting noticed for this. People think I'm good at it, so maybe we should start a band. So my friends and I and my older brother started this band, and we start playing gigs, and we're doing the bars, and we're doing the street dances, and, and it's like, we're getting paid to play music at 16, 17 years old? Like, I feel pretty good. Yeah. I'm up here, and people are looking at me, right? I, I had that affirmation. Again, that's what I was looking for in my heart. Redemption. When I graduated high school, I struggled with what to do next. I believe God was out there and probably had something to say, but I didn't want to listen to it. My mom said, why don't you pray about it? I was like, I'm not going to pray about it. I don't care about God. So I decided to move here to Bismarck, and I went to BSC, got an automotive degree, and I thought, if I can just find the right job, if I can just find the right career path, then everything will be great. All of my wildest dreams will come true, in the words of Pedro. And so I did. I finished my degree. I started working here in town at the Ford dealership. But I was empty. And I was like, this just didn't turn out the way that I thought it was. I'm not making tons of money, and I'm not feeling great. You know, I wanted my boss to notice me, to be one of the top technicians. And it just, everything was empty. And so I started reading the Bible, and I'm like, well, maybe I should give this God thing a try again. So I started reading the Bible, attending this church, and a friend of mine, we were kind of going through a, a journey together of like, what is all this God stuff? Maybe we should pay attention. So we started attending this church and reading the Bible, and I realized that the Jesus that I read about in here was so much different than the Jesus that I thought I had in my mind, the, the picture that I had. 
It was a lot less about doing the right things and getting my life in order, and it was a lot more about Jesus' invitation to say, I love you unconditionally. I receive you with grace. And it was pretty attractive, and I'm thinking, this isn't the Jesus that I remember, but he's always been there. He's actually been pursuing my heart. I felt it. Just like the guys on the road to Emmaus, Jesus pursues us, and he had pursued me. And so I said, all right, I'm done. I'm done doing this my way. My life's horrible. It's empty. I said, Jesus, take what's left. See if you can fix it. And so I began to trust God as my father. He began to heal my heart, the anger that I had about losing my dad. And I began to realize that God is the perfect father who will never leave. He'll never die. He'll never check out on me. He'll always be there. And he always, always does what is good and right and perfect. He does what's best for me. I can trust him. And even when life doesn't make sense and we go through a crisis, he's still in control. He's still good. Restoration. At this point in my life, I began to ask God what he wanted for me. And I ended up leaving. Actually, after the dealership, I went and built houses for a while, did construction. I like doing things with my hands. But then I realized that God was calling me into ministry. And so I started working at a church, playing guitar, leading worships. Instead of trying to impress girls at parties, I was playing, saying, look at Jesus. And God redeemed that part of my life, and I was able to use music for a lot of years doing that. And so I've never looked back from the decision to follow Jesus. No greater thing we can do than decide to follow him. He says, I'm going to take all the broken parts of your life, I'm going to take all your shame, and I'm going to redeem it, and I'm going to restore it, and I'm going to give you a path forward, and you're going to be walking with me in my kingdom, and there is no greater adventure that we could go on. There's nothing greater we could give our lives to than Jesus. And all of a sudden, our little story that we're trying to make sense of gets blown up. And it's so much bigger, and, I'm, and there's a kingdom, and there's all these people, and my story's important, but it's pretty small when I realize how big God's story is and what he's up to. So I'm learning now how to find my identity in the finished work of Jesus find my sense of self-worth, not in performing, not being a good musician, not even being up here and preaching and being good at it. I don't care. Performance is, is empty. It'll always let us down. We're always going to disappoint somebody. But when I know who my father is, that he loves me and he accepts me unconditionally, no matter how good I perform, no matter how many good deeds I do, that's good news. That's freedom. And that's the life we're invited to in the kingdom. So I have a true father who loves me because of what Jesus did. Because of the resurrection. Without the resurrection, there is no redemption. See, that's my story. You have your story. And maybe you're here today and you don't know the redemption of Jesus. All you know is creation. Hey, this is where I came from. All you know is fall. This is my problems, my circumstances, and it's messy. And you don't know Jesus yet. And you're like, well... Can he redeem my life, my stuff? Absolutely. He's in the business of redeeming. That's why he came. That's why he died. That's why he rose again, is to redeem people like you and me. He can take any mess and redeem and restore it. And for those of us who've seen our stories too small, maybe you've been in the church a long time and you're like, yeah, I understand all this Jesus resurrection stuff. 
Maybe you're looking at your story as if it's yours. It's not yours. Our stories all belong to God's big, grand narrative. And we find our sense of purpose and fulfillment in Him. Jesus says, I want to give you a new heart, and I want to give you a new start. That's the promise of the gospel. That's why we celebrate Easter. That's why we celebrate the resurrection, the hope of Jesus. So back to those questions, who or what created me? I want you to just think about these today as you leave. Just maybe jot them down if you want, write them down, take a you know, photo with your phone. I want you to think about these questions and ponder these. Who or what created me? Why do I exist? Does my life really matter? Does it have meaning? And to who? What happens after I die? Why is the world the way that it is? These are important questions for us to think about. And Easter's the celebration of resurrection. The resurrection changes everything. The resurrection makes it possible for us to come alive spiritually. Just like the men on the road to Emmaus, their eyes were opened, their hearts were opened, and they received Jesus for who he was. It's the same invitation all these years later for us. Do I receive him? Do I believe in him? Do I trust him? What will we do with Jesus? Our hearts can be healed, our past forgiven, and no longer have any shame. All because of the resurrection. Amen? All because Jesus made the greatest comeback ever. And that's why we celebrate. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the reality of the resurrection, the story. You came, entered into a broken world, a sinful world, and came to redeem humanity. That's the gospel. That's the story that we celebrate. And Lord, let us see our stories fitting into your big, grand story that encompasses everything. God, from start to finish, we find our, our, the answers to all of life's questions in you. So Lord, we celebrate your resurrection. We're thankful for it. And we just ask that you would stir our hearts today just to walk with you and just to let the eyes of our hearts be open to gaze upon you once again. We love you and thank you for all that you've done for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing? Josh left us with a few takeaways from today's service. Creation. We can ask, what do they look to, trust in, depend on, for their worth? Creation answers who or what a person credits for who they are. Fall. We can ask these questions. What is wrong? What is the real problem or issue? Fall answers why things and people are not the way they are supposed to be and who is to blame for it. The key question for fall is, why are things not the way they are supposed to be? Redemption. Redemption answers who or what you hope will rescue you and redeem what is broken. What can fix this? True redemption only comes through Jesus. He is the only one who can redeem our lives our past mistakes, our present circumstances, and our future.
Restoration. This answers what the world, or your world, will look like when all is as it should be, and who or what will be the focus of this world. Thanks again for listening, Missio family. We'll see you again next week.